Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Well, to let you all know, I got some good news and some bad news. The good news is is that Jesus loves you. The bad news is I'm his favorite. (laughs) Actually, we all are. In the person of Jesus Christ, each and every one of us walk our own walk individually. Nobody else can walk it for us. And as I walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, I walk individually with him, and I may overlap with my wife and the church and Brad and different people, but it's still my walk, my path with Jesus. And in that, I feel extremely comfortable knowing that he's leading me and guiding me and holding on to me and taking care of me and many of my faults. And so thus, I feel special as all of you should. All of us should feel like we're Jesus' favorite because it's our walk with him and him alone and him with us alone. So this morning what I want to speak on is uh, the humanity of Christ. It's, uh, It's important to me. We hear of Jesus, the Lord and Savior. We hear of a lot of things concerning Jesus, but how often do we stop and think that Jesus was a man. For me, it happened very simply and strangely. The day that I came to see the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, my wife and I were in Israel, and we were at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a giant spring, and it's probably as long as this whole building, not just the church, the whole mall here, wide and the water pours out from underneath the mountain and flows across the side and and eventually flows down to the river it was at Caesarea Philippi of where Jesus asked that question and whom do you uh, people say who I am well I can being Loving history, I also understood this immediately. At Caesarea Philippi, there's a big, huge hill, and the water flows out from underneath it. And there's little alcoves that have been cut into the hill. And one of the gods, they had gods in these little things, and people would come from all over and worship different gods. The god that was the main god of this area, of course, was Pan, who was the god of water. And water, of course, is life-giving, right? So people would come from all over the country and worship Pan. And for him, for the people who came, they believed that Pan was the giver of all life. So here's all these people. Now picture, here's Jesus and the disciples sitting on the side of the hill and looking at this thing that I looked at 2,000 years later. And Jesus asked the question, but who do people say I am? 
Immediately for me, I started to understand the humanity of Christ because he, he also had this feeling, who, who do people say I am? And then this was really enforced for me in a, in a strange way, and I hope that I really don't upset any of you concerning this. We went to the Decapolis, and the Decapolis was one of the 10 cities of which was in the area of where the Roman soldiers retired. And so we're walking through this place, and then we come to this area, and it's a little wider than the stage here, and maybe as long as this building. And there's stones that project out of the side of this. So I said to the guide that was with us, we, we, we were very fortunate. There was only seven of us in there, or eight of us in this group, okay? So we got to know the guide very well. And I said, what was this? He said, what do you think it was? I said, I don't know. He said, well, look at that trench there in underneath. He said, this was the public washroom. Now, there was no place that said men, women, or others. There was just one big, long place. And it was, the way that it worked was you sat on two stones. You put one, it's like the toilet seats that we have that are open in the front and one cheek goes on each side. Only thing, they're sitting on a stone, okay? And I got big tears in my eyes as I thought about this. This is where Jesus went to the bathroom. My God became a man also. He had the same functions as what we have. He went through the same things of which we go through. But in order for Jesus to come into this world and be part of this world, he had to uh, come into it legally. If you uh, put up John 1, 3, please, for me. Or, uh, John 10, it is. I'm sorry. In John chapter 10, there's a whole section on uh, of the fact that I am the good shepherd. Okay. And then in this section, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And Jesus goes on and he speaks in this particular scriptures of, at the end there in, in verse 14, it says that, or verse 6, it says, but they didn't understand what Jesus was saying to them. So Jesus goes on and says, truly, truly, I say unto you, I'm the door to the sheep and people come in through me and this is your legal entrance into the kingdom of God is through Jesus Christ. But the, these first couple of verses aren't talking about that. What he's saying is, is that at the very beginning, somebody snuck over the fence. So I want you to think about this for a little while. The sheepfold is the world. All the people in the world. That's the sheepfold. The evil one was the one that climbed in over the fence. How? He went and he talked to Eve and convinced her that this fruit would be good to eat. And so he snuck into the world illegally. The shepherd, of course, enters through the gate, he tells us. Well, how did Jesus enter through the gate? Well, according to scripture, he entered through Mary. 
All of us who are legally in this world or the spiritual world of this world enter in through a woman, which is the gate for all mankind. So consequently, we have Jesus who's telling them, he said, I'm the legal one. The reason that I'm the legal one that's here is because I came through the proper channels. The evil one climbed over the fence. And because I entered legally, now I become the door by which each and every one of you will be saved. I'm the one who's going to lead you into the kingdom of heaven and show you the life of which I have for each and every one of you. Entry for the true shepherd who calls his sheep and he calls each one by their name. So we see by the scriptures that Jesus himself entered legally into the world. He wasn't just a, a, a God who said, you know what, I'm going to save my people. I'm going to go down and I'm going to be amongst them. No, he chose a life of humanity so that each and every one of us would have a way to relate to him in the most possible way in our own humanity. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it tells us, of course, that the, the, the Lord, uh, that the offspring of Eve was going to be the one that would crush the head of the serpent while he bruised her offspring's heel. Now, the Old Testament of itself is, it's, it's, the, a lot of the provinces, uh, promises in the Old Testament are a little bit veiled. I think B.B. Warfield probably said this the best. He said, the Old Testament is like a chamber, richly furnished, but darkly lit. As we read the Old Testament and the Old Testament on itself, there's many things there that we don't quite understand. We know that it's extremely rich, but there's some things of which we don't quite understand concerning it. But then Warfield goes on to say this. He said, only the light of the New Testament can truly show the riches of the Old Testament. By the light of which we have concerning Jesus Christ in the New Testament is the light that allows us to understand the Old Testament. In Psalm chapter 45, it said, my Lord said, my Lord, sit at my hand here. And so that's one of the things of which we could never possibly understand until we got to the New Testament. Now, we see Jesus as uh, one with God. He has all the attributes of God, and we all know the attributes of Jesus uh, as God, okay? He performs all the actions of God. He bears all of the names of God. He receives the worship of God. He, Jesus Christ is God. But what about Jesus as a man? With the equal force of the New Testament shows Jesus is truly human. Okay? He has human limitations put upon himself. There are certain things of which Jesus couldn't do when he was here as a human. It's not an illusion, but his humanity, of course, is what causes him to be able to understand each and every one to us, to relate with us, to be able to stand before God in our stay, and those kinds of things. But the important part of this is, is that his humanity was not swallowed up by his deity. That's two different things. Jesus did not operate as God while he was here on earth. I know he did many great miracles and all of those kinds of things, but he did not do them because he was acting within his deity. He did it because he was filled with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the same as each and every one of us. 
the difference between us and Jesus in that sense was that he had no sin and he could hear God clearly. And so, and so those things, and Scripture tells us this plainly, those things that I see God doing or hear God doing, I do. But there's times when I don't hear it so plain. Now, a lot of you husbands can relate to this when we can't really hear it that plain. Our wives are more willing to tell us what it was. Right? At least that's the way it is with my wife because many times she says, well, I don't know. I, this, this doesn't seem right to me. And it turns out that it wasn't so right either, but I thought it was a heck of an idea. But men are men, and we run out and we do things sporadically, and Jesus understands that also. You ever think about the crew that Jesus hung around with? We got a couple of fishermen. We got a tax collector. We got a, a scholar, Andrew. Oh, when I first seen Andrew, he was under the tree studying the scriptures. We got a nerd. Anybody ever think about that in the, in, in, amongst the apostles? All of these different people. And Jesus brought them all together in one body and gave them a purpose. And as we sit here under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I know that Jesus brought each and every one of us here also for a purpose to be fulfilled within the body. All of us have a job. We may not think, oh, what is my job? Well, our job is to worship Jesus Christ. And as we worship him, then we interact with each other and we build up and we edify and we care and we love and we nurture and we fulfill the ministry of Jesus Christ because that's what Jesus did. And he did that in a human form and we are human and we can do it too. We can change the city of Airdrie by one thing and one thing only. That's by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ shining through each and every one of us. Okay, the humanity of Christ is complete. He took it on himself. That means that he had a human body, a soul, and a human mind, and free will. Jesus had to have had free will, or else he would not have been human. And so we see Jesus in this free will. He was born, conceived in Mary's womb. And with the aid of the father's, uh, without the aid of the father's genetic material, but rather by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the flesh of the father through Jesus was left out. Why? Scripture tells us very plainly that the sins of the father are the ones that are passed on to the next generation. In other words, Eve was tempted, Adam sinned. And there's a difference between uh, being tempted and, and, and doing it than sinning because we want to sin. And Eve said, Adam, try this. Okay. There was no thought into it. Eve had to be convinced, but Adam didn't have to. His wife just said, eat this. Okay, fine. And so consequently, Adam allowed sin to enter the world through him. It wasn't through Eve. That's why Eve was able to have Jesus born sin-free. So Jesus grew, and, and as he was born, he grew, he developed. And we see that after, that when he was left in the temple, or went back to the temple himself, he says, Scripture says that he grew strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That's the way... 
our children grow. We, we, we grow a little bit here, a little bit there. The children up there are learning about Jesus. They're learning about wisdom. They're learning about the understanding of Christ, the fulfillment of Christ within their life. Jesus did the same thing. His father probably spoke to him often as they worked together as carpenters. Jesus had other influences in his life. When Mary went to visit Elizabeth and when she was pregnant, she went there and because her and Elizabeth were cousins. But I, I hear people tell me, well, you know what? Jesus and John the Baptist really didn't know each other. How could they not? Because the closest relative Elizabeth had was her, or Mary had was her cousin Elizabeth. They didn't hang out together. She said, oh, that's it. I'm not going to play with you anymore. No, of course. They knew each other since they were children. And I can see them talking back and forth and, and trying to figure out what it is that God's doing in their lives as young children ready to burst into manhood. John's calling, of course, was very crude compared to Jesus. But he still had that calling upon his life as the last prophet. Christ, of course, took a, a far more gentler approach, if you want, as he explained the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as us, lives in a fallen world, and he voluntarily assumed the problems of men. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2 says that he hungered. John says he thirsted. John also says that he got tired. Matthew says he got sorrowful. John says he was angry when he was in the temple. John also says that he wept. But there's more to it than that because sometimes the Bible leaves certain things out. I believe that Jesus had one of the best sense of humors there was. And any of you that have ever been around a group of men, there's always some kind of jocularity or joke playing or, or whatever. Men's ideas of getting together is different than women's. We, I don't want to use the word, maybe a little cruder, but possibly we have a tendency to be a little different in what we think is funny. And I think that Jesus and the disciples were the same way. I can't see Jesus and the disciples wearing their little dresses and walking down the road like this. I just cannot see that. They were a group of men, and you would feel unsafe all the time because of what if one was going to do. There had to have been one amongst the group that was the joker. And they laughed. And they cried with one another. And they asked questions. And as they were with Christ, then they probably started to understand more of the world and understand things of which are maybe a little more delicate. In, the, in that sense that they, they started to see the world differently. They weren't no longer just crude fishermen. They became men who were gentle and kinder. And that's what Jesus did in all of our lives. I was not a gentleman when I was young. When I first got married, I had a lot of major problems. But one of the things that Jesus did was slowly but surely change me. He didn't do it overnight. 
He did it almost in a sense of being backwards. The things that I thought that Jesus should be doing is the things he didn't really do in my life. He dealt with my alcoholism and my drug problem, first and foremost, but I still had my anger for a long time. I had different things that, that he felt was more important that had to be changed in me than what I thought. And that was exactly what would happen to these men. But the reason that Jesus was able to do that is because, and did it in my life and each and every one of yours, because he understands us, because he was human and is still human. The way of which Jesus went up into the heavens is the same way that he's going to return. Now, he, it says that basically he no longer has any blood left in his body because he's now a celestial figure. I never really worried about that too much, but I had a friend, his name was Chuck Capeljohn, and, and he was a uh, rocket scientist. Imagine that, me hanging out with a rocket scientist. But anyways, one day he phoned me, he said, I figured it out, I figured it out. I said, what have you figured out? He said, I know what courses through the veins of Jesus. I said, what? He said, light, because he's the light of the world. And he said, and when we're resurrected, that thing of which is going to course through each and every one of our bodies is the same as Jesus. We're going to be filled full of the light of knowledge and love and mercy and all of the things and attributes of God. That's the things that we have to look forward to. And this was done because Jesus was a man who gave himself freely. The, the Holy Spirit... Jesus in his humanity, as I said, the Holy Spirit would guide him. Thus as a man, he questioned things. We, in the, the scriptures of where the woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus says, who touched me? Some people say, okay, the way that this is is that he, he did that for the disciples. He knew who touched him because he knew everything. But as a man, did he really? Because he gave his deity and, and held it in check. Did he honestly ask who touched me because he wasn't sure? Do we think of these things because they're important to our understanding of Christ? Some people say that he did these things for the benefit of the disciples and that he did that and, and said, who touched me? And if he did it for the disciples, then I always struggle with the concept of the idea of is Christ holding his humanity in check? Why wouldn't he be more like us and not be sure who touched him? See, we, we put a supernatural slant on him and we should. Because he's a supernatural being, but we have to remember he was a man. He was a man like each and every one of us. So, therefore, the knowledge is, his knowledge was greater than ours, and his ability to hear God was perfect. If you can put up John 5, 19 and 20, and uh, John 12, 49 to 50 for me, please.
Don't you hate new Bibles and the pages stick? And anyways, 519. So Jesus uh, said to them, truly, truly. Is that it? Yep. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Okay. And then John 12, 49 to 50. Oops, there we go. It says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me um, has himself given me a commandment that what to say and what to speak. The Father gave Jesus a commandment and said, You speak this and you say that, and don't say anything on your own. It's basically what that is saying. You ever think about that? That Jesus was so human that he relied upon God's Holy Spirit and set his deity aside so that he could live through all of the things that each and every one of us live through. Being human, he lived in the confines of humanity, not using his deity, but relying upon the Holy Spirit to guide him. Thus, as a man, he questioned things, and, and he reached out and he touched things and looked at things and understood things by a human understanding many times. Some say he did these things so that disciples would understand. I question that, as I said. Now, we all have, know Jesus was tempted to sin, but here's the question. If Jesus set his deity aside and became completely human and being tempted, did he have the ability to sin? Yes, he did. He was human. Jesus chose not to. Not because he was God, but because he was a man who was in tune with God and the leadership of God and the understanding of God. If Jesus didn't have any free will, he wasn't like us. So if he was tempted to sin, he had a choice to either sin or not sin. I, I, I know that this is complex, but we have to understand that as a human, if he's not totally human, he cannot love us totally in the fashion of which the scripture says that he does. Some say that he could have sinned. Others say, no, that he can't. I'm, uh, myself, I believe that he had the choice and made the right choice. But I'm not going to argue with anybody who thinks the other way. Because there's many things of which we don't understand. But those things of which we do understand is that Jesus loves us and we're his church. And let's go from there, right? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, please. Okay, we can do this. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. The priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the, the, basically the last priest, is still being fulfilled in heaven. 
He is there each and every time that we need him. And he's there for each and every one of us. I got just a couple minutes here to close this out, which you know is preacher talk for 25. Okay, so now Jesus' job for us now in heaven is to make intercession for us. He stands before the Father or he sits beside the, th on the, the throne on the right hand of God. When I first got saved, I didn't know this. I never knew anything about it. I, I was pagan shot through and through. I didn't know anything. Okay. And my wife led me in the sinner's prayer and I got saved. And we lived in a trailer and the bedroom was at the end of the trailer. And I come home from my work and I, right after supper I'd go running down the hallway and I'd slide into the bed and I'd drop my head on the bed and start to cry. Now, I don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know anything about God. This was my prayer. I said, Jesus, you were a man once and you walked on this earth. And I now know that you are with God. I never knew Jesus was God, okay? So I know that you're with God. If you would be kind enough to go and talk to God and tell him I'm sorry for those things of which I've done. I didn't know that's what Jesus' job is. He goes to the Father and says, this is one of my children and, and, and he's sorry. And, and he he loves me and he loves you. That's Jesus' job now. He's the one who stands in his human form before God and says, Father, for them I died to release them from the power of sin. For I died so that they may come into your kingdom and be your children again in the exact same fashion as what Adam and Eve were. As he is the second Adam, then we are under the ministry of the second Adam as we as receive the power and the ability to sin from the first Adam. We now have the ability to walk in the fullness of God because of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. By the power of his Holy Spirit working in each and every one of us. When Jesus rose from the dead and went, remember the disciples were standing watching him go, and the angel said, he'll come back in the same fashion as which you see him leave, which is in a human form. If you'll put up Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 for me, please. It says, but he holds, oh, no, that's it. Is that 7, 7, 24, 25? Yes, okay. Consequently, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, if you can put up the next one for me, please. Uh, Philippians uh, 2, 1 to 11. Okay. I'm going to close with this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in, in humanity court others with significant than yourselves. And count others as more significant than yourself. That each of you look not only at his own interests, but also the interests of others, and having this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As that man did those things for us. I know it's easy to understand and worship Jesus as God, but let's not forget what he set aside for each and every one of us. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We worship you. We glorify you. And Father God, I feel this morning to pronounce that may the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ rest upon each and every one of you. And as Brad said this morning, those of you who are seeking answers, seek them in the love and the adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him time to work in your life. And he will fulfill your wildest dreams and your greatest expectations. Maybe not that new Cadillac Escalade, but it will be in the peace and the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ and the comfort of his Holy Spirit that you shall be changed into the very image of Jesus Christ, which is indeed our goal. And I ask you, Father God, this morning to bless each and every one who is here. Watch over them, keep them safe, and lead them and guide them. In your Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. We're so quick to point a finger Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Everybody needs that grace. We all need Jesus. Yes, we do. Stuff we hide deep down inside There's so much that we don't show Yeah, it's just a wonder what we live in It's really not the way it's supposed to be Isn't that the beauty of redemption? It changes everything We're all broken people
24, 365, our human is equal.